Our text this morning is in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. I had a lot going on this morning. I was also teaching a Sunday school class, so I was... Had a lot on my mind as I left out this morning, different things and preaching that's out of the book of Daniel and having to study to get ready for that and then the Sunday school lesson too. And uh, so my mind was not otherwise, not really on target of what was going on. And uh, uh, we had a lot to get together this, uh, this morning. My wife was bringing some stuff for this shower this afternoon. By the way, you also see an insert in here. It's an invitation to the wedding of, of uh, Allison and Ryan. And... Uh, this is church-wide invitation. If you're coming, they would like to know you're coming. They're preparing foods and such as that. So if you don't mind, I think there's an email here as well for you to, to tune in with. So uh, anyway, uh, so I tell Jane she's got lots to carry. I got lots to carry. I went on downstairs and, to get the car, and I said, I'll just meet you up front. I'll pull out of the garage and pull up front there and pick you up there at the sidewalk. And, uh, and that's really the last I thought about, Jane, to tell you the truth. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, thinking as I went along, you know, and so uh, I got out, pulled out of the garage, pulled up the driveway, started up the road, waved at a neighbor, started up the road, and then it hit me, I'm going to church here, and something's missing, and it's, it's Jane. So I'm hoping that she's not out of the house yet and has seen me go by, and so... Uh, I back, down, I back down the road a little bit, and I look over to the yard, and there she stands with all her stuff she's trying to hold together. And uh, so I back on up, and uh, she gets in. She said, uh, forgot about me, didn't you? <laughs> as well as a few other little snide comments. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> so anyways... It's finally time to preach this message. I'm going to try to preach it. Uh, Again, our text today is in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. We'll begin reading here in a moment, verse 31 or so, but there's a lot of backdrop here I'll need to share with you as we get on into this. Uh, Book of Daniel, written by Daniel. Uh, It's a good name to start on it, wasn't it? Uh, Daniel and uh, many of the uh, Hebrew uh, children, Hebrew young people, uh, that were there in now Babylon, uh, were there not at, on a visit, they were taken there. They were taken from their country uh, as it was being demolished. Babylon was the uh, final straw uh, to the people of Israel, and uh, already Assyria had attacked and, and taken over the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and then the southern kingdom was called Ju- Judah. And Babylon, being that strong nation that had conquered Assyria, dominoes were falling all around, I have to say that. And so then uh, Judea, Judah was, was conquered, uh, Jerusalem was smashed, and um, uh, uh, the cream of the crop, you might say, of the, of the young folks uh, were taken into slavery, actually. Uh, men and women in different places throughout Babylon. And... Uh, uh, many of the people simply were just exiled there. They exiled the whole peoples uh, along with them. But Daniel was brought into the king's uh, quarters, the king's uh, palace. as a great palace of Babylon. Babylon's one of the most opulent, uh, fantastic, as far as structural things and so forth as there ever was. They're proverbial, the hanging gardens of Babylon and so forth. And so uh, uh, great king Nebuchadnezzar ruled over things. 
And, uh, and uh, Daniel and his three friends, can we name his three friends? Can you sing it? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. That's all we know. We don't know their other names. They were, those were other names they have, but we knew those names. That's their nicknames, I guess. And so uh, uh, as they were there, they were uh, challenged first right off to uh, stay true to the Lord in all things. And it began really with the food uh, that they were served, and they uh, uh, challenged the, the, the meal that was presented to them and, and uh, were allowed to accept another diet, basically vegetables and water, instead of the rich, rich foods that they had been offered, and much of that would be unclean kinds of things. And so they stood true to that, and after 10, 10 days or so, the king's men decided these guys know what they're doing, they look very healthy and so forth, and they were all real sharp and uh, wise in many ways. And so, um, <clears throat> so uh, this, this part of the story early on involves a dream that Daniel's involved in interpreting. Uh, have you ever had a dream that upset you? Come on, we have, haven't we? Uh, have you ever had a dream that upset you and you couldn't remember in the morning what it was about? We've had those too, haven't we? Well, the king had such a dream. He had one of these dreams that really upset him, and he wanted to know why it upset him, but he could not remember what the dream was. And so uh, it says, and you can read this through chapter 2 here, uh, the story, that uh, uh, he woke up, you know, definitely afraid, something terrible, uh, and he was sure there was some truth to it. He couldn't get, he could not figure out even what it was. So he summoned the wise men. And uh, the smartest people he had, he summoned fortune tellers, he, he, he summoned uh, astrologists, uh, anybody, magicians, anybody that could have any kind of way of interpreting this dream. And he basically said to them, said, now, I need for you to interpret a dream. And they said, well, we can do that, you know. You know, it's not hard to be an expert on things if you've got a little running start on it. But he said, here's the problem, I can't remember the dream. And so you're going to have to tell me what the dream was and what it meant. And uh, they scratched their heads a little bit and said, well, you know, that's, that just can't happen. Uh, nobody could interpret a dream when they don't even know what the dream is. He said, you either get it figured out, or I'm going to cut all your heads off. Well, you know, I'm sure they tried, but nothing satisfying was coming along. He ordered his guards to arrest all of these wise men of the palace. Daniel wasn't in that crowd, but he, uh, he got wind of this and uh, went to the king and asked the king if he could have a little time that he, he would find the answer through the Lord, through God. And he got the other three friends that he had, Shadrach and Abednego, and they prayed. They just prayed over the matter. And Daniel had had this ability of interpreting dreams. But this, was, this was a royal dream and a tough one. And uh, it, was, it was terrible. And so uh, the soldier came to him. And said, well, what's going on? And he said, well, he said, I'm, I'm ready now. Have you ever come up from praying 
He said, I'm ready now. I'm ready to face whatever it is, the situation I got to face. More importantly, have you ever got into praying with friends? Two or three people. And just praying together. And come up out of that and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. So Daniel went to the king. We see this in verse 31. We'll pick this up. This king's dream. You, O king, were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue was large and of extraordinary splendor and was standing in front of you. And its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold. Its breasts and its arms of silver. Its belly and its thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. Without hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like a chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we shall tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and strength and this glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the fields, or the birds of the sky, He has given them into your hands and has caused you to rule over them all. You... You are the head of gold. So he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, you have a great and glorious kingdom. Really unlike any that had ever been. And you are the gold head of this statue. And after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. Then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there shall be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces... It will crush and break all these in pieces. And in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And as the toes 
of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery. So some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. That's kind of a lengthy text. But it's uh, dealing with a very important time in the history of the world, really. Uh, The Jews up to that time had been a fairly uh, isolated kind of people in Judea and Israel, uh, Judah and Israel. And, And now they are going out of bounds. They are taken out of their country. First, the northern kingdom of Israel, taken by the Assyrians into exile into Assyria, the ten tribes of Israel, and then the remaining two tribes of the southern kingdom taken to Babylon later on, about a hundred years difference. And so Daniel is at this place now with this king, and he has entered into a world that is totally what you call polytheistic. In other words, it's, the, it's a world of different gods. All kinds of gods. And Daniel is, Daniel is coming before now the king of, of this, whole, this whole arena that has all these gods. And he's there to, to preach and to teach that there's only one God, and that is the Lord God. And there are no other gods like the Lord God. And so he comes now into this uh, arena, you, uh, we can call it, I guess, it is the palace. And he is there a part of it. And he is revealing uh, this dream. And this dream is not only significant to this king, but will be significant to a succession of empires that are coming along. And this mysterious little stone starts out a mysterious little stone. The world will be bound up with the history of this stone as well and the kingdom that this stone represents. And so the dream is alarming. He is very much a part of this dream. This gigantic kingdom that he is overseeing is going to be made to be insignificant. It's not going to amount very long. It will be gone. It will be shattered. And so this picture of the statue, uh, this gigantic idol, this image, over 30 feet high, we can read about it in chapter 3 in, the rest, in another story. Composed of all these various materials, the head of gold, the arms and chest of silver, the belly and the thighs of brass, the legs of iron, and the feet mixed iron and clay. And so here comes these empires, beginning, beginning with the great Babylon. And the head, the gold, as he, told, as he told Nebuchadnezzar, the head 
is Babylon. His kingdom. It's a golden city. It's resplendent. There's never been anything like it. And it's doomed. He speaks then of the breast, the the silver breast. And that represents Persia, media Persia, who conquered Babylon. Really, through the back door. Persia should not have been able to pull it off. But they came and they were able to, to conquer Babylon and become in themselves a kingdom, though not as great, it's said, as the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And then the belly and the thighs of brass represent the next kingdom that's coming along, and that would be the Greeks. And we've heard the stories, perhaps, of Alexander the Great. The Greeks, as they began to... They conquered not only Persia, but most all the known world. This has truly become a worldwide type kingdom, at least the known world. And it was also short-lived. Like Persia and, and Babylon, it was doomed. And then following along the hills of that would be the kingdom of Rome. And Rome is represented by iron, the strongest of all of these the strongest of all of these metals, the legs of iron, terrible in strength, breaking up nations all around it. Rome was truly the, great, the greatest world empire, really, of the, of the whole biblical days. And really, you could go even, even to today as far as their clout, you might say, on the known world that they had. And then he says of that kingdom it also is doomed. And then he points to the feet. The feet which hold up everything. And the feet, he says, are made of this iron and of clay. Now, let me just ask, Lisa, about clay. The strength of clay, how would it compare to iron? Not very well. We could drop it and it would break. It's brittle. And so here is the clay feet of the Roman kingdom. Of all the great kingdoms of the world, here here is the clay feet. And so this statue, as you look at it, is magnificent. It really represents... uh, all the great of man-made kingdom, as you could go. And then there's this stone he mentions. Uh, this was probably to the king the most disturbing part of the dream. It's okay, perhaps, to look at his lifetime. He's going to be all right. Some of us are looking like that, you know, about the future. Well, I'll probably get out all right. But when, when the mention of this stone really is worrisome. To us, it should be comforting. But it's totally unlike the image in shape or content. And it also, the stone, becomes a kingdom. And it's to become a kingdom that will take the place of all earthly kingdoms. And there's six features about this stone. Let's look at them. One, it's very mysterious. It 
is cut out of a mountain, it says, without human hands. This other stuff's all formed with human hands. This stone cut out of a mountain without human hands. It's small in the beginning. You could look at even the the people of Israel as being small and insignificant on this earth. And it's the opposite, you might say, of kingdom powers in the way it defeats the enemy. It doesn't go after the head. That's the way the kingdom would operate. Take off the heads. Kill the kings of the other nations. Kill all the royal folks out and take over. That's the way you did it. No, this this kingdom went after the feet. The small stone, it says. Humble in appearance. It's just a rough stone. Unattractive to look at. Not shapen in any way. Insignificant. The stone put aside... This would be the stone put aside by the workman and laid over into another place. Rejected by men, but will become the cornerstone of the great kingdom of God. And it's wonderful in its growth. Now, this is odd. Stones don't normally grow, do they? This stone is one that begins to expand. And eventually it expands to a great mountain and eventually filling the whole earth, it says. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 2.2, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple, little Zion Hill, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains and it will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. All the nations will stream to it. So it's mysterious, it's small, it's humble, it's wonderful, it's mighty in its effects. Small at first, yet even when it's small, mighty enough to break the feet of the kingdom of Rome. And this is disturbing to the king. This goes against all manner of thought. This is something he can't fight. Another thing about this stone and the kingdom that it represents, it's lasting. It's not a passing kingdom. It's not one that bears for a while and then disappears. This is one that's going to go on and on. And here's the stone that you might say that God thrust into the world. God throws this stone into the world. And the consummation of this, as we can see, is Jesus Christ. He's the solid rock. He is the rock that was rejected, that has become the chief cornerstone of the kingdom of God. And I'm not just talking about the church here. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. God's rule. God's reign. The stone of Israel, from Israel came the Messiah. And so Jesus is like the stone that was cut out of the mountain without human hands. He was even born of a virgin. He was humble in His origin. 
It says in the New Testament, like a root out of dry ground. Can you imagine a more humble startup? We see Jesus in His beginnings. And then we see the kingdom of Christ, like a great mountain filling the whole earth. Announced by John the Baptist, the baptizer. Remember this insignificant prophet come up out of the desert preaching. What was he preaching? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is come. And so we see, we see Christ through His ministry. And we see how in the world's eyes was so insignificant. I mean, uh, He's not in any of the great Roman history books. He gets maybe a mention in one of the Jewish history books. And so His ministry is really not very long. And it makes an impact. It makes an impact in the land of Judah and, and of Galilee. So there you can see the ripple begin. But as far as the world is concerned, the life of Christ does not have a lot of impact. You might think about the cross. The cross is the moment where the storm hits the kingdoms. It's at the cross. It's at that place where uh, it hits the feet of the kingdoms of this world. Um, at the time it hit, Rome was beginning to have its divisions. It was beginning, even then, to be ready to fall apart. Now it would take 300 years, but it's also 300 years of fantastic growth of the kingdom of God. People were coming to be believers in every part of the known world over those 300 years of the early church. And so it's, it's, it was broken apart. It was smitten, not with weapons of war, but with the spiritual weapons. Paul said this in the days of the great Nero Roman emperor. He said, thanks be unto God who causes us always to triumph in Christ. So it didn't matter that there was a, a, a king somewhere. It did not matter that there was a rule somewhere. The great God through the Lord Jesus Christ has the victory. And He has achieved the victory through His Son. And the destruction is complete. Look over in Revelation 18.21. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. And Babylon in the, in the, book, in the book of Revelation is the code word for Rome. Pretty strong words. And the kingdom that would come, he says, would grow and continue forever. He says, but the rock that struck this, verse 35, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And then in verse 44, he said, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people and it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a member of the kingdom of God. We are strangers to the rest of this world. We are passing through. He is our king. He is our Lord. Look at the kingdom. It starts out divine, Jesus. It's humble in its beginnings. And it grows and grows. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says, Casting down imaginations 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Onward its progress goes and still goes and still grows. We have kingdoms in our day and time. We might be considered one of them. But our hope is not in any earthly kingdom. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And it will reign and reign forever. The wise men could not see it. Hey, thanks to Daniel, by the way, they were, their, their heads were saved. You'll see that. He, he pulled his fellow wise men out of the fire, you might say. But wise men still don't see it. Paul said the preaching of the cross is scandalous to the wise of this world. They still can't see it, don't believe it. We can pick up our local paper at any time, just about, and we can see some article that's not just non-Christian, anti-Christian. And pursuits of logic that go all through the best of mankind's kind of thinking of a world without a God. But the kingdom of God will endure and does endure. And we're not threatened by other kingdoms. You kids, when you go off to college, you're going to be learning lots of stuff. Just remember you're a child of God. Like Daniel, when he went to Babylon, you might be in a place that sometimes is scary. Or if you go into service or going to the workplace, just remember who you are. And remember to stand true with Christ. You don't have to defend God. He's the solid rock. You don't have to defend Him. You just live for Him. So Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, this is the point he wanted to make. There is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. The world is shaking. Kingdoms are still falling left and right. Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars. And the end is not yet. The time will come, no man knows the day or the hour, when God will bring to end the earthly, worldly struggles. But the time is not yet. We're still here. There's fear and there's trembling. There's national fanaticisms. There's faith in political systems. There's falling away from God. These things are going to pass. I think I got mostly us white folks here this morning. Let me just say something. If we get in league with a group that represents the most horrendous war we've ever had as a world with the Nazis, we are totally blind. And I'll throw the KKK in with it. There's no place for that. God is not a respecter of persons. 
His kingdom is not made up of us just white folks. And whatever we might feel about a lot of things, it's not. His kingdom is forever. His kingdom is made up of people from every nation, every ethnic group, any kind of difference you can think among us is welcome in and becomes a part of his kingdom. There is a God, the Bible says, and he will judge all things. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after the judgment. And there's the one God who through his son, Jesus Christ, has given us a way to enter into his kingdom. And it's filling up. But the door is still open. And there's still room. And there's still a way to find a peace and a happiness forever, and that is in Him. Are you part of the kingdom? Are you part of its work? Are you truly committed to Christ Jesus, the Lord, the true King of kings? Have you made your peace with Him? Let's pray together. So, Father, we just bow before You. I don't know if I've ever preached a message, Lord, like this. But our prayer today is that, God, we, we get a perspective on things. We get a perspective, even of things that we're blessed with. We get a perspective, Lord, even the blessings of being a part of this nation. We have to realize, Lord, if even this nation is divided has been true of all kingdoms of this world. And God, we're to put our hope and our anchor fully and finally in Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, the rule of God. Lord, in that we have agreement with people who were 2,000 years ago that we're trusting in the Lord. We're trusting in God. We'll be a part of this world. We are a part of it. We're to leave as good a mark as we can on this world. But Lord, we realize that truly and finally we are members of the kingdom of Christ. And so today, God, we bow before you. We worship you. We love you. We thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is not a kingdom of violence and hate. Your kingdom, Lord, is founded on the love of God, the love of heaven, and the love of the Son of God. And it's to be the mark of your kingdom is that fellow believers love one another and seek, Lord, to spread the message of Jesus Christ is the promised one who can give us eternal life and forgiveness of sin and a hope and a place in the heart of God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll give an invitation. We'll sing an invitation. I don't know what the Lord had to say to you today through this message, but He sure spoke to my heart about it. So let's just sing together. And if God has a decision for you to share today, come and pray here. I'll be glad to pray with you. Let's stand together and sing our hymn of invitation.